Hello, and welcome to the Rogue O'Tours podcast. I am Chad Durham. I am Jake Hampton. And this week we're going to talk about uh, something that was really difficult for us to come up with um, because it, it takes in so much of the film history that we each have ourselves as far as movies we love and actors and actresses we love. I mean, going to favorite movies of all time and even thing, touching on kind of the actor spectrum that we, we chatted about a few weeks ago. Jake and I are going to uh, give our top three men or male and female performances of all time but they're our favorites. So we're not saying these are the three best performances that have ever been put on film, and I don't think either of us would probably ever presume to have the knowledge requisite to actually make a bold declaration like that. But almost as difficult in that we're going with our three favorite male and three favorite female performances of all time. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit later of kind of about what that entailed for us, touching on what favorite means, because um, I would say for me, it's not necessarily even the three greatest performances I've ever seen, but the three that kind of stuck out to me. Um, but we'll we'll detail that a little bit more later. Um, but to start out like we like to do, we want to talk a little bit about some movies we've recently seen in the theaters or on DVD or Blu-ray that we think might be of interest to you, either because we thought they were good or we thought maybe you should avoid them. So I'm going to I'm gonna turn it over to Jake, and he's going to talk about a few movies that he's recently seen. Okay. Yeah, I've seen several movies since we last recorded. Um, probably my favorite that I've seen since we, we last did an episode was Don't Breathe, which I think I talked about seeing before. Um, it was awesome. It was very scary, very tense. Um, and a good film. It had some interesting filmmaking um, techniques. There, um, we probably talked about before the premises. Um, these kids break into a blind man's house to rob him, but they don't realize how dangerous he is. Basically, um, there's some awesome stuff in there. They do like a um, really cool continuous shot when they first break in and are exploring the house that lasts like several minutes. Um, so it's not your run of the mill. Uh, horror film in that way. I was actually going to ask, not to interrupt Jake, but so horror, would you put it, would you classify it in that genre? I would, but the friends I saw it with said that they thought it was a thriller, so I guess sure. see our horror podcast for more discussion. <laughs> <on that. laughs> well, it's but, funny you say see our horror podcast, because uh, Eric, Eric, who is on our, our horror podcast, as well as our Christopher Nolan podcast, he and I were going to go see it, uh -huh. and it was kind of like my... I'm going to go see this horror movie, so I was curious. We were unable to, and I hope we can so I can talk about it on future podcasts, but it was my concession to you and to Eric that I was going to go see it, <laughs> right. but then we ended up not being able to see it, so anyway. Well, I recommend it, and mm -hmm. I, I confidently label it as horror. Oh, nice. Yeah. I like that. Uh, uh, like, uh, overtly violent? Um, no. I mean, it earns its R rating with oh, violence, sure. but not not anything. I wasn't like turning away because sure. of the violence. Not gut gut wrenching or yeah. queasy type violence or anything. Right. Yeah, I've heard there are some. I hesitate always to use this word, but interesting twists or surprises, small ones. Yeah. Buried in Don't Breathe too. That. Yeah, might, yeah. Might I be was. Fun for I was very curious about where it was going to go. It was not predictable. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, I'll just touch on a couple other ones briefly. I did see Southside with you. No way. Yeah. Um, which for those who don't know is the, um, it's a movie based on Barack and Michelle Obama's first date. 
Um, when, and and uh, the, the surprise in my voice is where Jake and I live, I didn't know that there would be a lot of opportunities to find Southside with you. Yeah. At a th- did you have to go a long way? Yeah, no. we, had, we uh-huh. had to drive yeah, <laughs> about 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was probably worth it. It was an interesting film. Um, it was very much like a stage play as far as... I mean, I guess it did switch location a lot, but it was really just... An extended conversation? Yeah, kind it of. was just conversation. Um, and so it was... I mean, I didn't... I knew it was based on their first date going into it. That's all I... And that's all I know now, really. Like, I don't know. I don't... I still How don't even know. How accurate is it? Where'd they get their yeah. information? That type of stuff? Yeah, like, I still don't even know if that was supposed to be, like, a premise. Like, I don't know if people talk about their first date. Sure. As, if that's, like, known as some cute thing. Right. But I've never... Yeah, I had never heard know. that before, so... All right. Um... Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> anyway, it was good. It was. It felt long. That was my only complaint, and it wasn't. It wasn't that long of a movie, so it kind of dragged. Um, okay. But it was interesting. Like it was a cool experiment, I guess. Right. And, Did they try? I've wondered this. Was there an attempt to say something about like the politics of Barack no. Obama and Michelle um, Obama, or was it just like this? So happens to be our the leader of the free world or whatever. But that's beside the point. It's a story about these two people who are like kind of falling in love on a first date. Right. No, I would say it could be about any two people pretty much. Like there wasn't any, as far as I remember, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks now. And sure, I sure. Like, I forget we haven't recorded so for a little while, I guess. <laughs> um, but no, there was nothing like, and this is the man that goes on to lead our country or anything like well, that. Well, and I guess what I'm wondering, because it sounds like you're saying what I thought about what the movie is, so why is it even Barack and Michelle? Is that just the hook to get people in the theater? Is that... I know you said we both don't know like if there's something about their first date that's been reported or known. Yeah. But you, do you know what I'm saying? Is that just kind of like the bait to get people in the theater? And it really could be... Yeah, that's John actually a really Anderson? interesting question yeah. on if... On what the what people's perception would be of the movie if it was just yeah. a standard yeah romance, Bob and, you know? and Barbara, who are just random people yeah, but it, yeah it could have been about anyone so like maybe it was just bait <laughs> but yeah yeah you but get yeah. in the theater like oh wait a minute <laughs> but good yeah generally even yeah. though it dragged a little bit. I, yeah I generally recommend it nice um and then I generally do not recommend <laughs> Morgan that was a great segue <laughs> this is not Jake's first podcast no um. <laughs> I don't recommend Morgan, which is the, which is a, which is a run of the mill um, horror movie, horror sci fi kind of. It's weird. I actually I saw it classified as horror in like multiple places. Before sure, I saw me it, too. But I I wouldn't classify it as that. Um, is there are there sci fi elements though? Yeah, it's just a run of the mill um, sci fi artificial intelligence movie. Um, the AI gets out of control and starts killing people. Spoilers, what? I guess. <laughs> That's never happened in an artificial intelligence movie. Yeah. Um, there is a very obvious twist like that's pretty clear from the beginning, I feel. Um, and it just has nothing new to say. Like, I don't know. I I really loved Ex Machina. Um, yeah. And I just couldn't stop thinking about that movie the whole time, thinking about how that was such a superior film and really did some interesting things whereas Morgan was just we've done it so many times there was no reason to make that movie I don't know who thought it was a great idea because I don't think it did well at the box office either no not as well as they hoped it was made by Ridley Scott's son which is interesting because I mean I've heard that at least he shows promise at being able to make a movie I know I know you just gave a pretty not glowing review Mm -hmm. and I haven't seen Morgan but I've heard some people that said, like, well, at least you can see Luke Scott 
he has some skill. Right. Would you say that, I mean, were you like, wow, this is made by a hack filmmaker? Or were you no. just like, the movie's just not that good? And I'll actually say, it was actually pretty interesting for the first half of the movie, before it became clear that they were just not going to do anything special with it, and it was turning out to be stuff that's been done mm. over and over again. Kind of sad. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I and I have, it's well documented, if you, if you have read on Rogo Tours, or, you know, if you know me, that uh, that I was a bit disenchanted with the end of Ex Machina the first time I saw it, just the end, because some of the things Jake just said, I thought it ended at a place where we knew it was going to go. But Ex Machina, the rest of it, the other hour and 40 minutes, I just thought was amazing yeah. and, and so fantastic. And that'd be, if we could squeeze in an Ex Machina discussion on a future podcast, that'd be good. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Yeah, good. I want a reason to rewatch it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, is that those those are three? Any others that you? No, that yeah, that's all. Oh, I've that's seen. good in the theaters. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jake always blows me out of the water on that. <laughs> um, but I I saw. I'll start with what I saw on DVD Blu-ray. Um, this was a movie that some have touted as one of the best of the year. I know Entertainment Weekly put it on the the top ten of the first half of the year because it came out earlier. It just recently came out on DVD, and a very a very very like bizarre movie as far as the aesthetic and what it's about. Made by a guy named Yorgos Lanthimos. It's called The Lobster. Has Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz and uh, John C. Riley and Ben Wishaw from, well, he's from a lot of stuff, but blockbuster stuff. He was in both of the most recent, or all three of the most recent uh, Daniel Craig Bond movies as Q. Uh, man, The Lobster, though the ending is crazy, crazy ambiguous, just put that out there right now. Man, what a fun, charming, interesting movie. Um, if you don't know the premise, it's, a, it's in the future. Well, it never actually says that, but they describe it as dystopian. It's in some reality where when people are not, uh, when they don't have a significant other at a certain point in their lives, they're put into basically like a hotel where they have a certain amount of time to find a partner. And if they don't find a partner in the days allotted to them, they are turned into an animal. Of their and choice, right? Of their choice. That's where the title comes from, is that when Colin Farrell's character is taken in at the very beginning, this is not a spoiler because it's the title and it's in the first like 20 minutes, they ask him what animal he wants to be and he says a lobster. lobster. He wants to be turned into a lobster. And he gives some really cool reasons that I won't, I won't spoil here. Now, the, the, the acting style is very mannered. Like it's, they're, they're almost very monotone and stuff, but it really works for the style that they're trying to achieve. If you watch the first 20 minutes of The Lobster and you're just like, I am not into this, it's not really going to change. You're not going to like suddenly be taken in. But if you kind of get down or if you're down with its offbeat rhythm at the beginning, like it's a pretty cool movie. And it has a lot to say satirically about the way we treat people in society um, who don't have a partner or who aren't in relationships. And and Lanthimos, the director, he also, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't keep. He doesn't give the satire only to that side. You also meet some people who are obsessed with staying single, and he he is just as sharp satirically with those people, and you just get this kind of sense of. I mean, it really mirrors our society in a lot of ways, even though it's very um, singular in its vision, and it has a lot of stuff where you just go, "Whoa, what a weird 
tonal thing you're doing there, but it seems to work. And he, the biggest thing is the actors really know what tone the director was going for. And Colin Farrell actually signed on for his next movie, so you know he, he really enjoyed the director's next movie. Um, so he really enjoyed the experience. But something that if you're a fan of like offbeat cinema, like it's, it's, it's really kind of fun and has, has some really cool things to say. Um, and then I did see uh, one of the most critically acclaimed movies of the year thus far um, in theaters a couple weeks ago, and that's Hell or High Water uh, with Chris Pine and Ben Foster and Jeff Bridges. And uh, you can look for the review on Rogo Tours. It should be up, I think, by the time you listen to this, or at least it will be up very soon after you listen to this. Um, but Hell or High Water is about some brothers who decide to rob a series of banks, pardon me, a series of banks, and because there are a lot, there are multiple reasons given throughout, and I don't necessarily want to take away from the movie, but they feel like banks especially have been kind of screwing over them and their families for years. Um, but there's not really a, it's not really a screed against banks. I mean, I have read some reviews where some people said the message isn't very subtle about banks screwing you over with their interest rates and blah, 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 blah. And I would agree that there are a few times where it feels a little heavy-handed, but there are some other, a lot of other really cool thematic things going on that have nothing to do with the banks that work really, really well. Um, and so anyway, as they're trying to rob this series of banks, Jeff Bridges and Gil Birmingham play a partner, well, a, a duo of Texas Rangers who are trying to catch them. And Jeff Bridges is great, even though it's just a variation on Rooster Cogburn from True Grit. Uh -huh. Nonetheless, it's great. That's not, I didn't mean that as a criticism, only that you can see shades of, of that same character, kind of the crusty old lawman <laughs> yeah. that you see there. But Chris Pine and Ben Foster are fantastic. Um, I, I, I've seen other people echo this, and I just want to agree. I thought it was, for what I've seen, Chris Pine's best performance, at least up there in the performances. A lot of times, you know, his looks are really a part of his performance. And, I mean, his characters are these very charming people who are effortless in what they do. And so you, no matter how, no matter how well maybe Chris Pine was doing in those, it feels like he's just doing himself. Yeah. And here, even if that's wrong, he has to do a lot of different stuff. It's grittier. It's more subtle, in my opinion. Um, he, he hides, I mean, he still looks good. He's Chris Pine, but he hides a little bit of the good looks, um, you know, that are so, it's not as debonair leading man as you yeah. normally see. And then Ben Foster, who's been great in movies for years and years and years, um, does his as a little bit of a variation on his 310 to humor role as well. Um, the kind of hair trigger temper, wild card, you're never 100% sure what he's going to do. But the two of them together, you really get the sense that they're brothers. There's a lot of stuff that really kind of adds to the backstory without being too... Um, obvious as far as understanding who they are to each other and their relationship and what they were like as younger people. And it ends up in a place that, uh, and I'll borrow a line from my review, that is both obvious and completely surprising, which I really liked. You, you like get a sense of like, oh yeah, it kind of had to be here, right? But at the same time, there's enough ambiguity at the end that it feels very, I want to continue thinking about this for multiple days. It's, uh, I'd reckon, like you with Don't Breathe, um, which are honestly, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, probably the two most critically acclaimed movies out right now. Yeah. Don't breathe and Hell or High Water. Like the and and Jake and I would say, if you get a chance, go see either one or both because it's some good stuff. All right, so uh, tech, uh, tweet at us uh, at Rogo Tours or at Jacob Hampton twenty six at C Durham ninety nine. If you have any responses to those, if you see Hell or High Water or Morgan or Southside with you or Don't Breathe or even The Lobster, and let us know what you thought. 
Um, but this week we wanted to do something, I guess, that it, it felt ambitious to us, even though we, we had the final say, so we can do whatever we want, um, of, of identifying our three f- favorite of all time, but favorite, um, male and female performances in the movies. Um, and we use that word favorite very, very purposefully to allow us to, you know, have some variation and, and maybe reward a comedic performance. I don't know Jake's and Jake doesn't know mine, but perhaps reward a comedic performance when they're not always looked at as being great performances or reward, you know, like in our underappreciated movies podcast or our podcast episode, reward something that's maybe not as well known. Um, even if there might be some, some, you know, other incredible performances that would be considered better than it. For instance, I had Daniel Day-Lewis up at the very top of my actor spectrum. I think that he kills it every time out. I can't, I can't remember ever seeing a performance of his that I didn't think was almost perfect. And I don't have him on my list here. None of his are my favorite performances necessarily. Um, I'm going to let Jake, Jake's going to give a little bit of a, a, a spiel or an intro to kind of how he arrived at the favorites without tipping off any of his. I'll do the same, and then we'll delve delve into our lists. Okay. So people are just, I think people are going to hate me for my <laughs> list. Like All of you I millions of people who listen <laughs> yeah. to this podcast are going to send hate mail. I'm really joke. putting myself out here. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, we really have to focus on the favorite word because, <laughs> like, I know there are, like, I know there are performances that are, like, very commonly recognized as some of the best of all time. And the ones that I've seen, I can, I can, like, appreciate that, right. you know. Um, but I feel like anyone, I, any of these performances I'm going to name, like, I feel like most people would not want to even call them close to the best performances of all time, so... I guess discredit everything I've ever said and will say on this podcast. (laughs) Well, oh, pardon me. And like I said, we don't have the resources nor the time to be like Variety or Entertainment Weekly and be able to say like these are the best performances ever put on film and and nor would we presume to do so. Um, But at the same time, we've seen a lot of movies between us and, you know, appreciate a lot of the nuances of great performances as well as some of the bombast of great performances. I know for me, some of mine probably, maybe more than Jake judging from his little intro there, a few of mine probably would make lists like that mm-hmm. um, of the six because we're doing three and three, male and female. Of the six, I would say maybe half of mine would at least be in the running for for a list like that. But then there are other ones that probably are off the radar of of – of anybody's, you know, top performances of all time. It was funny because Jake's been talking up the weirdness of his list, so I'm getting more and more excited to well, hear. <laughs> it's, okay, so it's not weird. I I should just <laughs> say up front. So I think what people are gonna hate about this is that all of mine are so recent, like within mm. the last, like like this decade, pretty much. Okay. And so, so I'm like mentally cringing every time we say the phrase "all time" because sure, sure. Because it's not. But that's why I want to focus on favorite because these yeah. are performances I enjoy the most. Yeah, yeah. And he he hit on the word enjoy. I think that's a part of of what it is. And again, mine, I do have... I have... Mine are all 90s or later. Uh-huh. So so at least... But not all, obviously, this decade per se. Yeah. A few from the 2000s and a lot, and, and a lot from the 90s on my list. 
And we've, I, I've made jokes about a lot. I am a little older than Jake as well. <laughs> so it, it, the 90s ones are coming from probably a similar time to when you're choosing yours from the 2000s, right. I bet, in your, in your life. It is a pretty formative time, I think. Yeah. As, as someone, as people who love movies or whatever you want to call yourselves or us, movie buffs, movie lovers, movie appreciators, a lot of it seems to happen in those like 15 to 25 years. Uh, when you're 15 to when yep. you're 25, it seems like you have a lot of movies that fall in there that really stick with you, at least for me. Right, no, and yeah. that's, that's so, how it's been for me. Yeah, and so I think, yeah, I don't think, don't worry, no need to apologize. <laughs> um, so we're going to go, what we're going to do is we're going to do all three of our male performances, uh, back and forth, and then we'll do all three of our female performances. So I'm going to let Jake start, and he's going to hit you with some of the ones that almost made it, however many he feels like, and then he'll go with his number three, then I'll, I'll come back. Okay, so um, it was really interesting to try and put this together. Um, because I, well, first of all, there are a lot of like separate elements in film that I feel like can bring me back to a film just for that one element. But for me, I'm not sure that acting is one of them. Like I, interesting. yeah, like I have a lot of favorite like actors and actresses in general, but I was trying to pin down, like I was trying to think of my favorite actors and actresses and I, I, for a lot of them, I couldn't pin down like. Of that performance, one performance was it. yeah was yeah exactly like it's more I just enjoy their work consistently right um, and so I would agree with that by the way in making this list mm-hmm. and it was one thing that was hard because I just think of my favorites and go no they're not going to make the performance list they're not right. which is silly yeah because really that should be chock full of their performances right right but, yeah yeah exactly so um, and then I and I think another reason everything's so recent is because of just my movie watching habits like I hardly ever rewatch movies anymore like I see movies once when they come out and that and that's it unless I end up rewatching it for the podcast or like some other reason you right know? right which so that's why mine are so recent I think is because I have such a bad memory of movies so all the ones I do remember are ones that I've seen in theaters in the past you know five to ten years yeah yeah anyway that said um I did try at first I like tried to think of some that were more worthy of the all-time title than I thought of. Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver. Nice. Um, Jack Nicholson and The Shining. Okay, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. obviously, like, obvious yeah, ones yeah. that are considered super Definitely great. would be up there if someone were making a best performances of all time. Right, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I really appreciated those performances, um, but they're just not what I consider my favorites, which sure. hopefully is okay. <laughs> um, Too bad if not. <laughs> um, so some, a couple others that I, that did just cross my mind, but didn't make my final list were Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler. Good one. Um, I really thought that was, I, I feel like I've seen quite a few of his movies and that was my favorite performance mm-hmm. that he's done. I like the way he, in Nightcrawler, by the way, that he was like, and that was one Jake recommended to me that I hadn't seen yet and, and made sure to watch This is a while back, but I liked how it was creepy and yet, he was still pretty charismatic a lot of the time. Not necessarily that you were like on his side, but like you wanted to be, at least for me. Yeah, no, yeah. It was like I wanted him to sort stuff out. I wanted him to be better. I almost wanted him to come to the right path. Yeah. So it was a fascinating performance. Oh, yeah. He was such a good sociopath. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, Heath Ledger crossed my mind just because the Joker is so fun to watch in The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. but I thought... That's not fun. I don't know. I, I mean, may, well, maybe he's on yours. He's just, not. Okay. But he is on my list of people that almost made it. Right, Just yeah. like you, yeah. I just, I didn't want to use up a space because I felt like yeah. it was so obvious. Plus, we talked about Christopher Nolan for two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go listen so. to that podcast if you want to hear our, our singing the praises of Heath Ledger as the Joker. Yeah. Um, and then I did think of a couple um, 
kind of curveballs that didn't make my list, but was just kind of like, oh, I bet people wouldn't have thought of this one. Um, for for male and female, I thought of those. Um, and so for my male performances, I thought of Jim Carrey in The Grinch, actually. Oh. Like, I don't... Speaking of good performances that are the bombast part, like mm-hmm. I was saying at the beginning, they're so over the top, right. but 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 uh, they need to be, or, yeah. or they should be, or whatever. Right. And The Grinch actually wasn't very well-received, critically, was it? No, no, think. no. People yeah. were not... People were pretty down on The Grinch. Right. I I love it. It's my favorite yeah. Christmas movie, but I, Jim Carrey really makes it for me, like... He, I just think it's, he does so much, like there's so much nuance and little things he does on the side really quick uh-huh. that, that just fly by. Ad-libs and just small little like inside jokes and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I agree. And to me, I'm just like, how can you, oh gosh, sorry. I just spilled water. <laughs> um, should we pause it? Or... Sure. Anyway, Jim Carrey, the Grinch, is great. <laughs> Hilarious. I don't know how you can not like that performance and appreciate all he had to go through. <laughs> Thank you. All he had to go through, like, with the makeup and costuming and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I like that one. I like that curveball. I know it didn't make the list, but I like... That's a that's a nice little... It, it it really kind of shows what we were trying to do with this list of just, like, something that for us is, like, you just hit it, and I enjoy it, and I think it worked, and it may not be an Oscar-worthy type thing, maybe not even a movie people love, but wow, what you did with that performance stuck out to me, so... Yeah. So... The reason I called my list weird is just because of how recent it all is. It actually might, maybe it's even bland as far as like, I think actually all of my performances were either, some of them won Oscars and then others were, and then the rest I think pretty much were nominated. So nice. Sorry about that, I guess. But I mean, I'll at least talk about why I love them so much. Don't apologize. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, without further ado. Number um, three. I'm excited. (laughs) My number three male performance um, is J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. Oh, so good. So good. To me, well, I mean, obviously this was like the point of the movie, but to me, J.K. Simmons made, made it a thriller as opposed to just a drama. Um, at least for me, like the first time I watched Whiplash, I was actually, you know, it was genuinely tense for me in a lot of scenes. I had no idea what was going to happen. J.K. Simmons did such a good job of like making it unpredictable and portraying a character that seemed like he could snap in any way at any moment and you had no idea what was going on in his brain um even in those scenes um well that's kind of a spoiler i guess but yeah and i i'm 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 I'm, first i can't speak sorry (laughs) i'm gonna let jake finish but i just had to jump in and say (laughs) I love how it made it seem like you weren't sure if he even believed in what he was doing or if he was just a sadistic dude. Yeah, exactly. Like, does he believe this is helping or does he just kind of get off on terrorizing people? Yeah. And I thought he walked that line with such perfection. Yeah, he walked it so well. And it's like, even in the scenes where it's not, they're not like performing or there's not pressure on Miles Teller. To do well, just any time that J.K. Simmons is on screen, for me, I'm just sitting there analyzing, like, okay, what's going on in this guy's head right now, and is he about to freak out about something? Right. Even when they're just calmly talking and not playing instruments, right. you know? Like, Which is going through Miles Teller's head as well, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Which is, I think, some of the beauty of what J.K. Simmons did, is we feel like all of those guys in there. Right. Like, what's he going to do? When's he going to do it? Am I next? Yeah. Is the guy next to me next? Why is this happening? Right. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. So he really made Whiplash an awesome movie for me. Totally 
it's totally a great exploration of like um well chad is a teacher but like (laughs) i feel like i don't know if you did but like in high school i had teachers where it was like um and i haven't had this in college i guess which is actually the age of the yeah of the main character in the movie but like in high school i had some teachers where they were so scary to me that it was like that feeling of sitting in the room wondering if you're next and i feel like whiplash took that turned that up you know yeah 11 to 11 yeah (laughs) so well so that's when we we are planning a whiplash podcast for when la la land comes out in december uh that's ryan gosling and emma stone in the director of whiplash's new movie which is a musical set in la uh his name's damien chazelle and the script was great and his direction was great and but i think he would also be quick to give all kinds of uh um the credit to J.K. Simmons yeah. because if J.K. Simmons, I, I'm sure there were other people who could have pulled off that role, but when it's one of those roles that when you watch it, it feels like I don't think this movie would have been what it was without J.K. Simmons in it. At least it feels that way because man, he was just yeah, he's terrifying. Yeah, and I had only seen him. I might have only seen him in Juno before that, unless uh, there's Spider-Man? probably a Spider-Man. That's right, Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah, and probably other little things like that that I'm yeah, forgetting yeah, yeah. from the past. But I just had never. I had always known him as mild mannered, so it was yeah. it was extra impressive to see him be able to take on that character. Yeah, yeah, nice, great one to start with. Okay, uh, I want to name, and it's always hard for me, especially when we we tried to, we winnowed our list down to three because we wanted to do male and female, not take two whole episodes of the podcast. But um, because of that, I had a lot of people that got left off my list, and and <laughs> I always feel like I want to give them credit as well. So I'm going to name a few, and then I'll stop and name a couple of my favorites, but. Uh, Mark Wahlberg and I Heart Huckabees. I always thought he he showed what a, a a game comedic actor he could be in that. Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love, which is definitely one of my very favorites. It's my favorite Adam Sandler role, and has been for years. Paul Thomas Anderson, there there will be Blood director and the Master director and the Inherent Vice director made an Adam Sandler comedy that actually made sense and and resonated. Um, Nicholas Cage in Matchstick Men, uh, one of Nicholas Cage's in my opinion last great performances before their they kind of disappeared from the Nicolas Before Cage. Before he became a man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tom Hanks in Road to Perdition, because I'm a big Tom Hanks fan, but my favorite is Road to Perdition, because he, he added a darkness and combined it with his lightness in a way that I hadn't seen before. Jim Carrey in The Truman Show, which at the time Peter Weir uh, kind of didn't take a lot of heat, but a lot of people were like, what? Jim Carrey's in like a serious movie? Um, but I thought it was brilliant casting, and I thought Jim Carrey really made that movie work. Russell Crowe, who I mentioned in 310 to Yuma last week, and Heath Ledger, who Jake mentioned. And then some of the ones that were so, so close for me, Robert Redford and Paul Newman both in The Sting. The Sting is uh, probably my favorite movie of all time, and I've just always loved their rapport um, on Netflix right now, by the way. Uh, Jack Black in <coughs> School of Rock. Orange County, too, but School of Rock especially. Uh, his former roommate, Mike White, wrote it and wrote it for him. And it really played to all of the strengths of Jack Black. They were roommates? Yeah. Oh, and they have that. a production company called uh, Black and White Productions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, Orange County was like kind of his breakout uh, after, although he was great in um, High Fidelity. But Orange County was like his big breakout. Mike White also wrote Orange okay. County and wrote the role for him as well. Um, and then uh, Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge, oh, nice. which was just, that was probably, with that one and the next one I'm going to say were the most anguishing cuts for me. If we had gone five, it would have been Ewan McGregor and the one I'm about to say. Um, I thought Ewan McGregor's sincerity in Moulin Rouge, like I've never seen a more sincere performance. And he, at any time I've ever watched Moulin Rouge, he's the first actor to truly make me believe, and the only one that I can think of, 
to truly make me believe he felt like singing in real life. Like when he started singing in multiple scenes, I thought like, oh yeah, that's what I would have done in the scene, in what in what you just like made me believe. <laughs> right. Like I would have started, you know, usually music is like, oh, they're singing, here comes the music. But uh, on his face, in his voice, it was like the emotions overcoming me, I must sing. And I, I love that about Ewan McGregor's performance in um, Moulin Rouge. And then uh, my other most anguishing cut was James Cromwell in Babe. I happen, to be a, <laughs> I happen to be a huge fan of the movie Babe, regardless of Jake's laughter. I, have to be, I happen to be a huge fan of the movie Babe, and I, I loved, at the time, James Cromwell, too. He's a, a well-respected actor and kind of a role in a family movie where he's one of the only humans in the whole thing. And his, uh, he made his relationship with the little pig, I thought. And he got nominated for an Oscar as our own. Maybe it was a Golden Globe and not an Oscar. So it's not like I'm the first one, okay, Jake, to, sing, <laughs> to single out uh, James Cromwell in Babe. Um, but I love – and the scene where he jigs, uh, my wife and I have talked about this before. Um, let's see. I'm looking up right now to see if he got nominated for an Oscar because I can't remember. Uh, yeah, he did. Oh, he won. No, he didn't win. I was like, What? No, no, it, sorry, but he did get nominated for an Oscar, so I mean, it's not like I came up with that, but yeah, sorry. The scene where he jigs in that is just, I think it's masterful, and, and the emotion on his face, he had, it was a very unselfconscious turn for, for James Cromwell. Okay, but without further ado, let me also get to my number three, and my number three uh, is really recent. Okay. I don't know how recent Jake gets, but this is from the last three or four years. Um, and, and probably my, be- my favorite comedic por- performance of all time, and that's Sam Rockwell in The Way, Way Back. Nice. And um, like I said about Ewan McGregor um, making me believe he could sing, Sam Rockwell in The Way, Way Back, m- it, it, the movie feels like an, an entire series of ad-libs. It just feels like the directors, Jim Rash and Nat Faxon, just said, do whatever you want. And whether or not that's true, maybe he's just spinning lots of their lines and making it sound like he's ad-libbing. Like, it makes the movie so funny, and it feels so like kind of fresh and off the cuff. And his character in the movie calls attention to his own ad-libs, like says things like, oh, man, that's not even my best stuff, and like <laughs> jokes around with the people. And somehow that made it feel more real and less like a performance to me. Like when we say something funny to our friends and we're like, come on, that was funny, like, and they don't laugh. Or you're like, ooh, I'm going to make them laugh. This will be funny. Sam Rockwell took that and, and just you know, bottled it or whatever you want to say um, and really just made that movie. At the time, um, Jess Cagle, the uh, editor of Entertainment Weekly at the time, he's not now, but uh, he had started a hashtag Oscar for Sam for The Way Way Back. And like a lot of comedic performances, it wasn't really in the running when it finally came around to doing the nominations. But he never fails to make me laugh. The trailer makes me laugh, um, just any t- even though I've seen The Way Way Back multiple times. And for me, just such a frisky performance. Um, it took all the things Sam Rockwell does really well and has done really well in kind of thanklessly for years in supporting roles and kind of made him the star of the show. But in a way that, I mean, he has emotional scenes to play too. And you really have to believe that this kid in the way, way back is going to be drawn to Sam Rockwell. And like, I'm drawn to him. I think everyone's drawn to him in the movie. And you're like, I want this guy to be my friend. And so it really kind of gave the movie, goosed the movie in a way that maybe not a lot of other actors could have. Yeah. That's a nice surprise. I also loved his performance in The Way Way Back, and he really made the movie move along. Yeah, yeah. Um, and kept it entertaining and fun. And I didn't. I like the idea 
that he, if he was ad-libbing and literally saying to the other actors, come on, yeah. you know. I know, it just <laughs> feels that, that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, he literally, that's an exact line where he says, this isn't even my best stuff to, right. to the kid. And I remember just laughing like, oh my gosh, like the line is blurred here, but in a way that actually makes it feel more realistic to me than calling attention to look what I'm doing. It more so feels like the way we all like to perform for our friends and get them to laugh or captivate them or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I do my number two now? Yeah, do it. Okay, <laughs> mine are all so recent. Um, so I was making you feel better with that one. That was like yeah, 2012 or 2013, the way way back. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna do 2013 right now. Nice, though. nice. Um, so my number two um, was I think it was the first uh, the first role I saw this actor in, and I was very impressed. It was Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, nice. So. Yeah, I hadn't even, I didn't even know, like, like, I always knew 30 Seconds to Mars, but I didn't, I had no idea he was also an actor, or that he was an actor first, you know? the age difference rearing its ugly head between me and Jake again, yeah, because he was a lot bigger in the 90s. Right, okay. But then disappeared Uh for a long time. Okay. So, yeah, I was so impressed with his performance in Dallas Buyers Club. It felt very, I don't know, almost like gritty and just kind of like, um, very ambitious, I guess. And I, and I, obviously I wasn't familiar with his past work so I don't know if it was and it's not that he was that famous per se he was uh-huh. he was most famous for uh, my so called life okay and it was kind of a, a role that seemed like he was just being himself like a right. sullen like post teenager <laughs> <laughs> okay um but yeah I it just really put him on the map for me like as far as which probably sounds silly I know like, no no makes me sound so young but not at all just as far as like I suddenly I saw Jared Leto as this like prestige actor you know and I just like that yeah and I was so excited to see what he would do next because I was so impressed with the way he took on the role of um Rayon I think is the character's name you've seen Dallas Buyers Club right? no I oh, still haven't, haven't. No. oh you haven't no and I would love to I love McConaughey okay and yeah. I want to see the role right so you know like a little bit about yeah it, oh then. yeah okay. oh yeah Jean what's the actor uh the director's name he did Wild also and oh, he I just did one with uh Jake Gyllenhaal called Demolition uh-huh. No, Mark Paul Valet. Okay. I think. Um, Jean-Marc Valet. See? We get things wrong, then we fix it. Yeah. I was right the first time. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jared Leto's performance in Dallas Buyers Club, did, it made me cry. It's very moving. Um, I cared deeply about the character. And I was, more than anything, I was just impressed with the way that somebody was able to um, just portray a transgender woman and like... He just really fell into the role. So I was right. really, I was like kind of excited and interested when the, I found out that he was going to be playing the Joker in Suicide Squad. I know, and it's and a little disappointing. Now, now huh? yeah, I now know. I don't I was, know what to think. It was informing my thoughts the whole time you were talking. Uh-huh. Because when he, when he chose Suicide Squad, I was like, whoa, you're like taking on this iconic role that Heath Ledger. Right. Kind of. I mean, Jack Nicholson was great in Batman, don't get me wrong, but Heath Ledger just, I mean, it was an amazing performance. And for him to take that on was kind of like, I'll see you, Heath Ledger, and I'll, I'll raise you, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And after Dallas Buyers Club, which I know I haven't seen, but like would love to see. Uh, and th- that's why there's a little disappointment in, in his portrayal of the Joker, which I thought he was fine personally, but yeah. only disappointed in that he basically took it on and looked it in the eye and said, I'm going to do this. Right. And then it didn't feel that ambitious. Yeah, and that was exciting to me, having yeah. seen his work in Dallas Buyers Club and then... Yeah, but just like hearing the stuff he would do on the set and then seeing the actual performance now, I'm just kind of like, I don't know what to think of Jared Leto, yeah. but I at least have Dallas Buyers Club and like, 
It's amazing. We'll so always we'll have Dallas Buyers Club. And I want to be <laughs> yeah. very clear. I was not at all taking t- Jake to task for being young. Uh, oh, it's because, fine. Because I think what a lot of people – the reason he won the Oscar partially is because people were surprised Jared Leto had that in him. Right. Because even though he was famous to a degree, especially in the 90s, nothing had ever indicated he had like that great of a performance coming. You know, There wasn't a lot that he did that really said, oh, yeah. You just wait. Jared Leto's going to kill it one day. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, just like McConaughey and Dallas Buyers Club, I think a lot of people were just like, whoa, these two are legit. Right. We yeah. weren't sure. And now we're sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a good one. Okay. Even though I haven't seen it. <laughs> good. But I will. Okay. All right. My number two. So my number two and my number one, when, when we get to number one, are in fact fairly obvious picks, but a, a little further back in time. Um but they've always been some of my favorites, and they, I count them as movies that really got me into movies, generally speaking. And I just realized now one of them was in the late 80s, so I did reach back into the very back of the 80s, and that's my number two. And I've always been impressed with my number two performance because it felt uh, less like an attention-grabbing performance and more like I just want to be realistic. I'm one who's a little more like Tracy Jordan in 30 Rock. I feel like performances of mentally challenged people can sometimes feel mannered and attention calling. Yeah. You know, even, and I, and I apologize, I like Sean Penn, I think he's a fine actor, but in I Am Sam, his performance always felt like a performance to me. It felt like, and here's my requisite mentally challenged performance that I'm going to do, and here are the mannerisms I'm going to tick off that will show you that I'm a good actor. And this performance has never felt that way to me, and that's Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man. Um, and probably one of the first movies to really m- help me understand like what a prestige picture was. Um, something, you know, yes, that was probably somewhat tuned to get an Oscar because Rain Man won Best Picture and Dustin Hoffman won Best Actor. Um, my next two are both Oscar winning, so, you know, okay. you're, you're not alone in that. <laughs> um, but I show it to my, my students in my film lit class now, and, and we use it as an, uh, we kind of try to break down what are the things Dustin Hoffman did to sell to you that he was, in fact, this mentally challenged man and not Dustin Hoffman playing a role. Um, If you haven't seen Rain Man, it's about Tom Cruise's character finding out he has a brother that he didn't know he had, who is what they call in the movie an autistic savant, but he has autism, a pretty extreme version, lives in a home, and then Tom Cruise like takes him from the home and they kind of sort of go on a road trip. Um, But Dustin Hoffman's performance is just... Um, so free of, I don't know, uh, self-conscious tics to me. Um, you know, it's been copied so many times, most notably by, uh, Robin Williams as the genie calling out to it. And a lot of people, you know, he says definitely a lot, definitely this, definitely that. And the performance is so iconic that people use it, you know, and just drop small parts from it. And then everyone knows they're talking about Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man. Um, and I, it made me believe in the power of acting. Uh, not to be too bombastic, but it's it's the first performance that ever made me believe in the power of acting. Um, I think it's a movie. I think Tom Cruise is great in it too. He doesn't get as much credit, but Dustin Hoffman is the star uh, in my mind, no doubt about it. And uh, every single time I watch it, even though I know it's Dustin Hoffman, and I'm not going to go so far as to say like I completely forget it's Dustin Hoffman because that's <laughs> not true. Yeah. I know what he looks like. I've seen him in a lot of movies. I know that it's Dustin Hoffman, but I'm always thinking about him as this character. Even though I know Dustin Hoffman's playing him, like I'm always seeing into the character, um, and he has to be so subtle 
because he plays this this guy with autism who eventually has to somewhat form a bond with Tom Cruise, but he has to do it in a way where he's not betraying the realism of autism. And I and he just these little nuances late in the movie that are just heartbreakingly real and then movingly real that is so rare for me to see in movies. It's just always been a performance that I've I've adored. Awesome. Yeah, have you ever seen Rain I haven't Man? seen Rain I'm just Man, curious. But no. I should. Yeah, one day. <laughs> one in day. In the future, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. All right, number one. This is Jake's number one favorite male performance in all of cinema <laughs> in his life. <laughs> um, okay. No, don't, don't feel self-conscious. I know. With authority. Yeah, I actually am really confident about this one. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm confident about all of them, but I know that people are going to roll their eyes at some of them because of how recent they are. Um, this one is a little less recent than, than my other ones. Um, and I, I actually have the same thing with this actor that you described with Dustin Hoffman. Like when I see him in other things, it just feels like, it feels like this character is being in other things rather than, <laughs> rather than the actor. Nice. And I know, um, so it is Jesse Eisenberg in The Social Network. Ooh, that was one that I, I obviously didn't get mentioned, but I had it on my radar. Oh really? Oh yeah. Good. Okay. I love The Social Network. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's like... It's like in my, for sure in my top five of all time. Uh, yeah. um, movies, I mean, obviously I'm talking about the performance right now is number one because, um, wow. Like, I I kind of feel like Jesse Eisenberg, I don't know, he hasn't really done anything that's been recognized as great since then, has he? Not in that, not really in that echelon. Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. And so that was interesting because that was, that was the first time I saw him. Um, I think Zombieland was maybe before. It was. Um... But other, but I'm pretty sure that's when he came on to most people's radar. Yeah, yeah, he'd been in movies, network. just like Jake's saying. But the social network could have, pardon me, announced him as like an actor, not just a guy who's in stuff. Right, yeah. And it was so interesting to me because his portrayal of Mark Zuckerberg made me simultaneously hate him, mm. but also like I kind of wanted to be Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> <laughs> just because he was so smart and like <laughs> always had the right thing to say and as a comeback to people around him. Um, but like talk about just like a, I don't know, it's just such a commanding performance to me. Like I am so fascinated with everything Jesse Eisenberg is doing on screen for every minute of that movie. Yeah. And, um, and he really defined Mark Zuckerberg for all of us, I feel, you know, yeah. like, I feel like nobody, not very many people know or care if that's exactly how Mark Zuckerberg acts, but now we have that idea that, yeah. that One, he does. And, and honestly, like, a lot of people have said that that's not how Mark Zuckerberg necessarily is socially, right. but we don't care. And I love that Eisenberg didn't make it, uh, I'm going to do exactly what Mark Zuckerberg is. Let me talk about you. Let me learn exactly how you talk and stuff. It seemed like more it was about what's the character on the page and let me put it on the screen. Yeah. And now when people say Mark Zuckerberg, I simultaneously see them both, Eisenberg and Zuckerberg, or I just see Jesse Eisenberg right. in my mind. Oh, yeah. Because he just, he, yeah, he made, he gave us the impression of who Mark Zuckerberg is. Yeah, I think everyone feels that way. If you get on YouTube and look at a trailer for freaking like Now, me, now You See Me or something, people in the comments will be like... Oh, I guess Mark Zuckerberg like, <laughs> made technology so awesome that now he does magic. Like, like people will always see him as Mark Zuckerberg, and I think that's awesome. And I know it's only been what six years, I guess, but um, but that's I funny. hope that as time goes on, it only becomes more and more iconic as yeah. as a great performance. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely want. Uh, hopefully, we can do an episode of the podcast at a later date 
where we either look at some of Aaron Sorkin's scripts or we just break down the social network because what a masterpiece of a movie. And it would not have worked without the central performances. Andrew, Andrew Garfield is also great. And yeah. But Jesse Eisenberg just magnetic. Kills it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's magnetic. Great one. And a great number one. Okay, and my I would say your number one is maybe even a little more surprising than mine. Mine may only be surprising because it's a little ways back, just a few years after Rain Man won Best Picture. This movie won Best Picture, and this guy won an Oscar as well. Um, and uh, I would say for me, the creepiest performance that I've ever seen, and with the exception of Heath Ledger, okay, I've never I've they're they're the two these two are the two performances that I've ever like been freaked out. Um, laughing and and just captivated and still like kind of liking the people that are you know do these horrible things at the same time and yet felt like there were no false notes by the actors like they weren't they weren't cheating so my number one favorite performance by a male in movies of all time is anthony hopkins in the silence of the lambs oh nice um, which is just, and it's like one of the shortest recorded, you know, for winning the Oscar. I think he won Best Actor, and he's only on screen for I don't want to give a number, but it's not that long yeah, technically. Right. But you feel like he's in the whole movie, yeah, because his interplay with Jodie Foster in the scenes where they're they're in the prison. Um, I mean, and and you know, the movie came out in '91 or '90, so spoiler alert if you <laughs> if you're really trying to still avoid Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs spoilers, but. He's in jail until there are like 20 minutes left in the movie. Yeah. And yet, the the movie feels like it's his. And that's taking nothing away from Jodie Foster, who's fantastic and also, also won an Oscar mm-hmm. for The Silence of the Lambs. But the movie feels like it's his. And that's why they, that's why, uh, you know, um, oh, I'm forgetting the author's name. Thomas Harris. That's why Thomas Harris wrote Hannibal afterwards. That's why they made Hannibal. That's why they made Red Dragon. That's why they made Young Hannibal or whatever whatever that other movie was called. It's just because, in my opinion, of what Anthony Hopkins did in that movie. Because there's even a movie they made before that called Manhunter, which Michael Mann made and is apparently really, really good and is uh, an early adaptation of Red Dragon. That movie came and went. Hardly anyone even knows about it. Then when The Silence of the Lambs came out, suddenly there's a culture of Hannibal, you right. know? And... Um, I, I mean, like, it, it scared me the first time I saw it. I had to turn lights on. And yet, I, I he, he is so, you just, I don't know, I liked him. I liked him. <laughs> he, he does these terrible things when he escapes. And I'm like, yeah, get out of there. Like, Hannibal, you can do it. Like, you know, and I mean, that's terrible. And I'm not, I'm not justifying it, but I'm giving all credit to Anthony Hopkins. He feels like a real person, a conflicted person who does some really terrible things, but is also a really smart, smart psychiatrist who knows how to manipulate so many people, who protects Jodie Foster and cares a lot about her, yeah. and yet happens to kind of be a monster. Right. And, and, you know, maybe some people say, well, that's a scary message. Like, okay, I guess. But at the same time, it's, it speaks to the, the, you know, the layers we all have. Yeah. And, and just the way he controlled his voice. And his in, and his infamous line readings, you know, a nice Chianti and all that stuff that he does. It's iconic now, and it's been parodied so many times. And I've seen it parodied so many times, and still, when I go back and watch Silence of the Lambs, like I'm not laughing. It holds up. Yeah, I, I think it holds up even now. It's it's terrifying in in a lot of the in a lot of the scenes, and yet you can see him rooting for Jodie Foster and caring about Jodie Foster, and then you know biting people's faces off. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's a performance that uh, you know had to be right for any of that to work, and it it was so right that it was um, it's my favorite. 
my favorite that I've ever seen. Awesome. Yeah. That's an awesome favorite. It's, yeah, I love that performance, and it's, yeah, it's scary just to look at his face. Like, you can tell he's... Sinister. Yeah, he, yeah, like, there's something about it when you don't even have to wait for him to, like, act or speak to to make you feel uneasy, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's in his face. He's, he is that character. Nice. Well said. Thank you for adding that on. All right. Well, we wanted to... We didn't want to get too confusing, so we separated. Start with our, our three favorite male performances. Now we're going to shift gears and go to our three, our three favorite female performances, and I'll start out this time. Um, and so let me just name a few. We've touched on, on favorites, and this one for me is going to have a few more... This one has a few more off the beaten path and, and stuff, not necessarily ones that would be discussed in the greatest performances of all time, with the exception perhaps of my number one, which I know could come up. Um, but let me name just a few. And my mine ones that didn't make it really have a lot of variety. And I considered putting some of them on there just to just to give credit to some of these kind of like lesser known performances, kinda of like we did with our last episode in the underappreciated movies. But ultimately, I wanted to be true to what I thought were my th- three favorites and not necessarily be arbitrary with, well, no one's heard of this, so it would be cool for it to be in the top three. But some of the ones I thought about including uh, Berenice Bejo, Bernice or Berenice, I don't know, I'm, I don't speak French, from The Artist. I think really? what a lively performance oh, and what a too. bright, oh my gosh, she's great. For, and for that matter, um, oh, I forgot his last name. From the artist uh, John. Um, it's like John Duhardine. Thank yeah, you. Okay. John Duhardine uh, really could have been in the discussion on the other side, but yeah. but Vernice Bejo is just she has a light in that movie. She's oh my gosh, um, and I'm a big fan of Shirley Jones. I almost included her because we would have gone all the way back to like the 50s and the 60s, because she was in Oklahoma and The Music Man, which are two of my favorite musicals, and I have a so like. If I were alive, then crush on Shirley Jones, um, and so I love her performances. She also just seems like somebody who's like cut cut the crap. Like this is who I am, and this is what I believe, and I like that a lot. Um, and then Charlize Theron, uh, I don't, I've never known fully how to say her last name, yeah. but from Trial and Error, which is a romantic comedy from the '90s with Michael Richards and Jeff Daniels, and I've always loved her in that. She just uh, feels like a, a person that you want to hang out with and 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 be friends with. Um, and then Sandra Bullock was, uh, you know, my mad crush in my teenage years, both Gravity from just a few years ago and Speed, um, Speed, which was what put her on the map in the mid '90s. I love her performance in Speed. It falls just short of like kind of hysterical, not in the funny way, but in the like screechy way. But she always brings it back and and makes the character charming and like somebody who's just under a lot of stress. Um, and then really, really close, Bryce Dallas Howard in The Village. Um, nice. And, you know, we talked about the village and that was one reason why I didn't necessarily pay no attention to the sounds in the background. Um, uh, but that was one reason why I didn't necessarily include her, although, you know, I didn't actually feel it in the end. But she's so great and you believe she's blind and she's it's such an emotional performance. Yeah. Keisha Castle Hughes in Whale Rider, um, which was also Oscar nominated. She was very young at the time and just she's almost in every frame of the movie. And she was like 11 or 10. And she really had to make you believe in the feistiness and the intelligence of this young girl. One of my very favorites. Um, and Emily Watson in Punch Drunk Love. Um, I know I mentioned Adam Sandler earlier. She's the perfect kind of partner for him. And, you know, she, in a lot of the Adam Sandler comedies, it's hard to believe these people are falling in love with Adam Sandler. And I like Adam Sandler. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> knocking you, Adam, if you ever listen to this podcast. But they're these, like, 
insanely gorgeous women who, and, and he's like kind of a doof and you're like, huh, what? And Emily Watson is also very, very pretty. And in the movie, she really makes you believe that bond between the two of them, that she, she is attracted to this kind of somewhat troubled uh, man that Adam Sandler plays. And then my, my most anguishing cut, um, also from my underappreciated movies list, was Callista Flockhart in Telling Lies in America. Um, she, she plays this unassuming, regular woman um, who life has just kind of beat her down and she's kind of accepted that life's kind of going to suck and I just got to do what I got to do. And it shows a weariness in her face, a weariness in how she talks. And yet she's hoping maybe there's love here with a couple of the people. She, she's kind of drawn to Brad Renfro's really young character, but she also knows I probably should just settle down with this other guy because what else am I going to do? And, and she so subtly plays that, that it's just, it's always been a, an, an incredibly endearing and heartbreaking performance to me that, that was hard to leave off of my top three, very hard. But these three I feel good about as being my, my very favorite performances of all time. So my number three is also from the last five or six years. Good. Um, and she was nominated for an Oscar, so there's that. And that's Quivenjane Wallace in Beasts of the Southern Wild. Nice. Yeah, she was five, five when she got cast and six or seven when they, when they made the movie. And my goodness, what a fierce, believable, uh, uh, you know, unique performance. Yeah. Um, you know, she has to introduce us to this whole world that we're not familiar with, at least in our part of the world, and make us believe not only that she's okay with living that way because she doesn't know any better, but in the bonds between her and her father, um, and and just sell the realism of everything. And it is it is quite the, the performance, you know. I was about to say quite the little performance, and that just seems so wrong. <laughs> Even though she's a little girl, yeah. you know, um, that performance was, and she had the distinction of being nominated. She was the youngest nominee in the same year that the girl from Amor was the oldest best oh, wow. supporting actress nominee at the Oscars. Neither of them won, um, but what what a what a tribute to her performance that the Academy recognized it. And I, I happen to be a big fan of the movie Beasts of the Southern Wild, and I I feel like even now she's a person, like that that person has continued living. That's that's the biggest tribute to Quivenjane Wallace's performance is like I think of that person now she's you know now she's 10 and she's still putting up with life's miseries and life's triumphs and she's still making the best of every situation that uh has is given to her and I attribute a lot of that to her performance and the director I'm sure was great Ben Zeitlin I'm sure he had to coax some of that out of her but and I'm sure a lot of it was just her I'm sure she's just kind of a fireball, a gritty, determined young girl. Um, and that's sometimes what happens with young performances. But I don't care because it's just, it's just a beautiful, nuanced, and when it has to be loud, loud, and when it has to be quiet, quiet performance. And I just, uh, I adored her in it. Yeah, awesome. She was, she was one that I considered putting on my list. Yeah. And like, and re-disclaimer, she like probably would be on it if I had seen that movie again within the past year or so, like, that's pretty much, anytime we do this, it's like, I'm drawing from what I've seen within the right. past year, because my memory is so bad. You can't go so rewatch bad. everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that performance. Um, I also considered for my list, um, I maybe the previous record holder for youngest nominee, um, Abigail Breslin in Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine. Um, I love her in that. I don't know what she tapped into in that, but I've never, like, thought she did <laughs> i've never close to as well since then yeah like yeah. not even a quality performance since then but <laughs> <laughs> sorry abigail <laughs> i like scream queens it's pretty funny <laughs> anyway um other other maybes were 
pretty much the whole cast of Mean Girls. Nice. Um, but particularly Rachel McAdams and Amy Poehler and their roles in, in that movie. Um, everyone in that movie, but especially them too, just exudes, I don't know, a certain confidence that I, I think that's what makes it... The, um, that and the writing obviously make it more special than other high school comedies. Yeah, shout out to Tina Fey. Yeah. Um, and then other maybes slash almost were... Um, Ellen, what is her last name? I can't think of it right now. Juno Girl, Ellen Page. That's her oh yeah, name. Ellen Page. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, that's a great performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sad I didn't name that as one of my almost. Oh really? Oh yeah, she's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Oscar nominated as well. Oh, was she for that? Oh, okay, yeah. good. Um, and then I also had Sandra Bullock for Gravity, <laughs> which I just rewatched the other night, which is why it's on my yeah. radar. Well, and I, I mean, <laughs> I need to insert a little personal commentary on that too. I'm glad that Sandra Bullock won an Oscar for The Blind Side, and I think The Blind Side is a fine movie, but. If you want to see a legitimately good Sandra Bullock performance, no offense, Sandra Bullock, you killed the you killed the accent in The Blind Side. But emotion wise, Gravity for me, and it sounds like for Jake, blows, yeah. blows that out of the way. And I also just want to interject that Gravity is an actual masterpiece and not just a gimmick that you had to see in theaters. Um, anyway. oh, yeah. I can't wait till we rank Alfonso Cuarón's movies <laughs> in one of these episodes. It's coming within the year, maybe. <laughs> I'll sit tight. <laughs> um, and then one other one. If she had been in more of the movie, I would have considered it a lot more. But um, Emma Stone in Birdman, I was really impressed nice. with. But she just was in like, I don't know, 20, 25 yeah. minutes of the movie. And Emma Stone in Easy A, too. I'm just, yeah. th- I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> that just got off the top of my head right now. What, a, what an enjoyable performance. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, okay, so my actual number three um, is in a actually, and I consider this movie as underappreciated for our last podcast, just because I feel like it gets, um, I don't know, I felt no like people, respect. Eh, it gets some respect, but not for what I think it deserves respect for, and it is um, Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I thought that role was like so complex and like. She she plays freaking everything on the range of emotion and does it convincingly. And you haven't seen Gone Girl, right? No, I know, and it, it's a it's a hole. It's a hole, and I apologize. And I like okay. Rosamund Pike. Uh-huh. She was in Surrogates, and she's good in Pride and Prejudice. And I'm a fan, but that's really what made people realize she was right. legitimate. Yeah, she's insane, like literally in the movie. And <laughs> so, and I feel like Gone Girl <laughs> gets dismissed as like being really pulpy, which. I think it relies on pulp as a theme, but it has so much to say about relationships and, um, like, marriage and just, like, psychology in general right. that I think it doesn't get enough credit for. Um, like, I thought it was best picture worthy. Uh, but any, but lar- and largely due to her performance because she, she does such... And the writing's a big part of that movie as yeah. well, but she... Yeah. Just her performance alone does such a good job of keeping you guessing about what she's actually thinking. If... Um, there's, like, narration throughout the movie of her journal entries, and, like, you just want to, like, try and read the tone, even, of the narration. Like, she has all these complexities, and she does them so well, and she... I mean, uh, it's a really important movie to not spoil, but, like... But, she, basically, she keeps you guessing and keeps you nervous about what her character is capable nice. of. Nice. So. When I can at least chime in, because I've read the book... Okay. And the character... You had to get someone who could play the character right, or the movie would fall apart. Right. I mean, it would just fall apart yeah. because it's tricky. It's easier to do, no offense to Gillian Flynn, who wrote a great book, but it's trickier to do in a movie 
because you can't do some of the tricks that she can do and you don't hear the tone a lot. You provide the tone when you're reading sometimes of like a journal entry or something uh -huh. like that. So then Rosamund Pike has to make sure to read it in a way that's like true, but also not giving stuff away, et cetera, et yeah, cetera. Yeah, so ambiguous. It's yeah. done so well. Yeah, and, and you know, sit tight for our Fincher Ranking Podcast. I'm yeah. sure <laughs> that episode will be, I'll say maybe in the next six months. We'll, <laughs> oh, wow. We'll do it pre-Quaron. <laughs> anyway, but yes, no, awesome. And and she just a shout out for her because I think that she's a a, a good actress. Um, that I was I was glad graduated to such an ambitious and kind of high profile role as Gone Girl. Yeah. All right, uh, my number two is um, huh. I did I mentioned it maybe in passing in my underappreciated in our underappreciated podcast episode a, a, a few weeks ago, but uh, is Samantha Morton in Sweet and Low Down. Which is a Woody Allen movie. So if you're a Woody Allen fan and you haven't seen Sweet and Low Down, like I check it out. Um, it's it's about a pretty um, uh, unlikable character played by Sean Penn, who is a made up um, guitar player, um, and he the movie acts like he's real. It talks about other f actual guitar players who are famous. It has actors playing like musicians and famous music writers who talk about the life and times of this character that Sean Penn plays. Um, and he falls in love with a mute girl played by Samantha Morton. And so she doesn't speak in the movie at all. Wow. And obviously it's not a silent movie, but Bernice Bejo is great in The Artist. That's a silent movie. This is not a silent movie. Everyone's speaking but her. And so, and I'm a huge fan of Samantha Morton. Uh, Minority Report and In America, two other great performances by her. She was really but, high on your actress. Yeah, she was. She was. I'm a, I'm a big fan, and she yeah. And like on the female side, I'm hitting a lot of the. I'm gonna hit a lot of the high actor spectrum people, because uh, I'll hit another one on my number one. But she is just this joyful character, who lets you know everything she's thinking and feeling, and it is there is a little bit more bombast to this role than other roles Samantha Morton plays because she's a very subtle actress, but the character required it. She's just this girl who loves life, and he's kind of a sour dude, and so she kind of brings out a lot of his like lovey-dovey and a lot of his fluffy personality or whatever you want to say, but ultimately, and I, I guess this is somewhat of a spoiler even though there are a lot of other things going on in the movie, ultimately they don't work together as a couple, and it's because he's this kind of rough, bad, idiot person, and she's just this jubilant, ebullient person um and she makes you feel so terrible for her in the movie because she wants to love sean penn she does love sean penn and he just won't let her and he won't let them work and uh she has to play all of that sadness and and things there are some great scenes where she runs out and her arms are flailing and then she does so much in it with her eyes and her face and that's why the performance has always stuck out to me um she is you know she doesn't get to use the voice like people do you know, she doesn't get to use her inflection or her tone or sounds or, you know, any of that stuff. And stripped of that stuff, it almost brought more out of her as a performer. Um, uh, just I, I feel like if you're wanting to show people how to act, uh, you show them Samantha Morton in Sweet and Low Down. Um, because everything's about what the character would think. Everything plays across her face. And she is a character who can't stop everything from showing on her face. Because, you know, that's just how her life has to be. Because it's the only way she can communicate. And because of that, it's both a charming and eventually heart-wrenching performance. And uh, just, uh, I love it every time that I watch it. Awesome. I'll have to check yeah. it out. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely one, one, especially like I said, if you're a Woody Allen fan I, I, out there listening to the podcast, and it's one of his that you haven't seen, um, it's definitely one that you should check out. Sean Penn's character's name, by the way, is Emmett Ray. I was trying to remember and I couldn't. <laughs> anyway, so that's my number two. Uh, yeah, she's a great actress. Okay, my number two. Um, I'm gonna keep it recent, but <laughs> but with a more um, well seasoned actress. Um, my number two favorite female performance is Julianne Moore in Still Alice. Oh, man. Go yeah. on. Which I, haven't brought my, I haven't brought cause... myself to watch it. I know it's going to devastate me. Yeah, but you she's have to great, watch man. it. As an actress, yeah. Julianne Moore. Oh, she's fantastic. One of my... She, yeah, she's one of my favorites um, in general. Yeah. Um, but man, this performance is so moving. Um, it was really... She was the perfect choice for to have someone bring a, an audience who's not familiar with Alzheimer's disease um, to, well, an early onset Alzheimer's disease, to bring us through that journey from um, from diagnosis to, um, to later in her life to see how it affects her as time goes on. Um, so moving and shockingly relatable. Julianne Moore does such an incredible job of, like, helping us see into the mind of that character and when these little things come up when um you know she relies on her phone to remind her of everything that she needs to know throughout the day and she one day she can't find it and um she does such a good job of and like everyone's already making me sad is it but like (laughs) no 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 please but everyone around her is taking care of her anyway like they are there for her and they're like we know that she's safe and that she'll be fine without her phone, but she cares so much about finding it and like things like that. You just feel it so much as the audience. You're like, oh, like I want you to find your phone as much as I want. Like food. Yeah, basically. Um, and it's just heartbreaking and you know it is and that's why you don't want to watch it. Yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> when I know it's not. Yeah. And it's like, like you said, I probably eventually will, but I could just see. And I think Julianne Moore is a fantastic actress and stuff like Far From Heaven. I love her in Far From Heaven. Um, but I just know it's going to kill me, mm-hmm. which is great. I, I mean, you know, I mean, that sounds dumb, but which is why I go to the movies to feel something, right. to, to look at something maybe I wouldn't understand or might have to deal with later in life or whatever and, and feel like I'm learning something about it. But the devastation that even just like the trailer makes me feel is all, yeah. it, it's so hard to be like, yes, I would like to feel terrible for a little while and <laughs> pop this into the, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it, it's um, but ultimately I, yeah. uplifting and helps you appreciate life good, more. At least good. for me it is. No, I like that. Um, but yeah, I, I needed that little. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just such a, it's just a, a, a performance to me that so it encapsulate, encapsulates so much of what I want acting to be, which is a person who is not something transforming and becoming and completely like convincingly portraying that thing that they're not. And she yeah. does that perfectly in that movie. Nice. Thank you. Well said. Okay. And then our, our last two, our number ones. Okay, uh, my number one is uh, has been my number one for a long time, and she's probably my very favorite actress. She's at least up in the conversation, up at the top of my actor spectrum, and plays a role that I think is so metaphorical for how we should all be in our lives. Um, and then seeing her in a lot of other things where she doesn't play the same kind of role has only made me, has amplified my appreciation for this role, because it's from the 90s. She's still acting today. I still think she's great. Uh, you can look for, I think my streaming pick a couple weeks back was uh, Promised Land with Matt Damon and uh, John Krasinski and then her, Frances McDormand. 
and um, she she's great in that. She's still great, but every performance is just showing me the various shades and, and harking back to that to show me that it was a performance, right? It was not just her on screen. My number one favorite female performance of all time is Frances McDormand in Fargo. Um, where she plays a pregnant police chief. If you've watched the TV show on FX, they did a variation on it. You had the She wasn't the chief, but she was pregnant, and she was supposed to be similar to that character. But Frances McDormand's goodness as a human being, sorry, the character's goodness <laughs> as a human being in that movie has to shine through in almost every single frame. But you also have to believe that she's good at police work. Okay, You have to believe she's pregnant. You have to believe she's from Fargo. So these are all various aspects of the performance that are happening at the same time. So she kills the accent. The accent's just great. I mean, and it's, yes, it's, the accent is a little bit of a caricature, but if you've heard a lot of people from there speak, a lot of them speak that way. And she doesn't play it in a caricature-ish way. Okay, if you haven't seen Fargo, it's about, uh, in North Dakota, some, some terrible, it's actually on the border. I don't think it's all in North Dakota, but uh, some, ter- some murders that happen and she has to, to solve them um, while being pregnant. Um, and, uh, and the people involved in the, uh, in the murders and the various plotting and stuff are some pretty rough people. Fargo's darkly comic. It's Coen Brothers. So there's a lot of really funny stuff happening that's also terrible at the same time. And Frances McDormand's character, Marge Gunderson, she is the center of the movie. Um, and you have to follow her and you have to understand the clues that she's picking up on. You have to understand the way that she's interacting with people. And ultimately, like I said, she has always been in that movie, the metaphorical every woman or every man to me to represent like we're in a world where lots of crazy stuff is happening and that cannot affect our morality, whatever it is. We have to be true to what we know to be right or to what we feel to be right or to the decisions we know we should be making. And so there's this character as, and she has a great monologue uh, with her husband at the end in bed, which is the final scene. She has a wonderful monologue with Peter Stormare who plays this really kind of brutal criminal that, and she talks to him. And, and a lot of what she says, and I think maybe this is ultimately what makes me love the performance, a lot of what the character says could be trite or feel very like, um, here's a theme I'm about to speak from my mouth mm-hmm. so that everyone out there knows that we are learning something. And none of it ever feels that way. It feels like something the character believes with all her heart that she needs to say for some reason to this guy or her husband or whoever she's talking to. Um, and she truly doesn't understand why they make the decisions that they do. She's like, what? Like It's like her mind can't comprehend it because of the goodness she sees in the world and the way that she views all people with compassion. And I just think, you know, and the movie's great. One of my very favorites, like it's, it's dark, it's terrible, it's funny, it's shocking, um, ultimately moving and has something to say about, you know, the goodness of life and would just would not work. And she won an Oscar. So, you know, I'm on the bandwagon. I'm on the bandwagon with the Oscars. Um, but she won, just totally deserved that Oscar because it's, it's just such a brilliant performance that I judge most performances on. Awesome. So it's my number one. Sweet. I love Fargo. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Hit us. Okay. Hit us with the final the <laughs> final number one of today. Oh, boy. Everybody get your hopes high because here we go. Well, everyone is going <laughs> to roll their eyes, I'm sure. <laughs> no. Because. You're not. Well, I mean. So you're going to tweet mean, at him later and tell him. Yeah. I agree. Amazing performance. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> no, yeah. I feel strong about this. Like, 
I'm sorry if you're tired of everyone loving her, and I'm sorry if you're tired of BuzzFeed lists that, like, give a number of reasons that she's so relatable. <laughs> but my number one, and I'm not sorry for picking her, though, and my number one is Jennifer Lawrence and Silver Linings Playbook. <laughs> Because that performance keeps me engaged for two and a half hours through that whole movie, which is insanely long for a rom-com, but it works. And I think a lot of it is because is her it performance. Is really that long? It's two and a half hours. Oh, I don't even remember. Yeah. I've seen it, but I didn't remember it was that long. I'm pretty sure. I mean, we could look it up. It's, nah. It for sure breaks two hours. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, wha- like, because she, I guess she had done Winter's Bone by then, which is... Two hours and two minutes, but it's it's the same. It is is over two, so don't round it up to two and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Okay, Winter's Bone. For some reason, side note was kind of difficult for me to sit through, and like I couldn't focus on her performance. I don't know. Which she wasn't nominated for, right? She was. Oh, she was for Winter's Bone. Okay, she didn't win, but she's nominated. Okay, interesting. Anyway, I only. um, But I didn't see that till after Silver Linings, anyway. So I only knew her from Hunger Games before Silver Linings, and it. In my mind, like, well, America's mind, obviously. She won the Oscar for it. Um, (laughs) But, like, elevated um, her from, you know, this just, like, you know, Katniss Everdeen, you know, fight for what's right to this incredible, versatile actress who took on this completely different role than than what we had seen her do and made it so magnetic and entertaining. Like, I wondered today, I was like, eh, should I put that as my number one? And then I just, all I had to do was go on YouTube and, like, search Jennifer Lawrence Silver Linings Playbook, and I watched the scene in the diner where she freaks out um, about Bradley Cooper judging her, and I was like, yeah, I'm comfortable picking this. It's such a good performance. Well, and to be fair, a lot of the ubiquity you talked about of her is because of the Silver Linings Playbook, right? Mm-hmm. Winter's Bone, yes, Oscar-nominated, but... Once she was in that movie, that's why she's relatable and she's in all these things and she's doing all this stuff. So if you're tired of Jennifer Lawrence, it can all be traced back to the incredible performance in Silver Linings, right? Right. In some I ways. mean, do you find it to be a notable, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's very good. I mean, okay. it wouldn't be in my necessary radar or whatever, but that's that's neither here nor there. You know mm. what I mean? Uh, yeah, she's great in it. I, I, didn't wa- I didn't in any way... Wa- I think I saw it after she won the Oscar, which is my own thing, but... I wasn't like, what? She won for this? Like, no, nothing like that. Um, I think I had maybe seen a few other performances because I saw it pretty late, Silver Linings. Some other things that she was really good in. But no, she's great. And she has, you have to believe that she has like kind of a mental illness. I mean, maybe that's too strong, but that there, she has a lot of struggles in her personality right. that she has to overcome. And yeah. She does have, like they, they treat it as mental illness in the movie, right? Yeah, oh, they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the book. Good book, by the way, if you haven't read it by Matthew Quick. But, um... No, no, yeah, no, I have no disdain for this performance, okay. nor for Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. And so, I think I think the biggest thing, Jake, and I need to let him let oh, him no, talk I'm about Jennifer Lawrence, but is that The Hunger Games, which I happen to think she's pretty good in, I don't know your opinion, but it didn't necessarily hint at kind of the range that Jennifer right. Lawrence has now that we accept, that we just know Jennifer Lawrence has, oh, yeah. you know? Now it's, we take her for granted. Right. Like, if she's not perfect, then people are like, oh, she's not as good as she was in other things. Like, because it happened so fast with her. Yeah. Of like, oh, Winter's Bone, that came out of nowhere. Oh, Silver Lines, here's an Oscar. Oh, here's another Oscar, right? Didn't she win two in a row? Did that mean that? No, I think she she was nominated. She was nominated, but she didn't win. Well, did she win for American Hustle? We're looking. (laughs) We're looking. Uh, Yeah, no. 
Wrong. She didn't win, but she was nominated. Okay. And then nominated for Joy. So yeah, Winner's Bone, 2011, 2013, Silver Linings, 2014, American Hustle, 2016, Joy. And what I was trying to say is now it's just about most expected. Right, which is crazy because yeah. she's what? Is she maybe 25? Like, yeah, she's not very old. Yeah. And so that, uh, great for her. I guess I'm just super on Team Jennifer Lawrence and like so happy that she, so early on she got such complex roles and was able to just nail it with Silver Linings Playbook so confidently. Yeah. And and uh, the only reason I even came in and editorialized on Jake's number one was to say, if you are rolling your eyes, pardon me, it's just because she's so accepted now as just being one of the greatest actors of her generation, just like that. Oh, yeah. And so, and, and though, although we can't discount Winter's Bone, Silver Linings is really what did it. Right. I think. Yeah. Silver yeah, Linings really. is really what what made people realize, like, oh, National Treasure, Jennifer Lawrence, you know? Right. Only 26, by the way. She just turned 26. We looked okay. it up. As long as IMDb is accurate. Um, but, but, yeah, what I'm saying is, like, don't roll your eyes. Just remember that in 2012, if somebody said Jennifer Lawrence is going to be one of the greatest actors, you'd have been like, who? Right. And then after Silver Linings, it was like, Jennifer Lawrence is one of the greatest actors. And I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. With one performance, mm -hmm. you know, and then it's just, oh yeah, let's hand her all. I mean, I know she didn't win all those. She won a bunch for what happened in American Hustle is a lot of people thought she would win. And then I think Lupita Nyong'o won for, uh, oh, for 12 years, 12 years a slave, if I remember correctly. Uh -huh. You can correct us via tweet if you want, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. <laughs> so those are some of ours. We'd love, maybe I'll, I'll hop on Facebook and say, hey, let us know some of your favorites. Could have done that before, but I didn't. Um, but we'd love to hear some of your favorite performances and however you want to phrase the favorite thing is totally up to you. Um, Jake and I are looking in the next couple of weeks at ranking the films of Jared Hess because Masterminds comes out on September 30th. Uh, Tim Burton's Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children also comes out on the 30th. Magnificent Seven on the 16th. I think we mentioned Snowden, uh, Oliver Stone's movie, which is kind of dividing critics right now. Bridget Jones's Baby is actually getting really good reviews, which is yeah. kind of surprising. And then if you're looking deep into the future, uh, The Girl on the Train and The Birth of a Nation both come out on October 7th. Uh, we won't delve too much into the into the um, controversy that's surrounding The Birth of a Nation right now. Um, it'll be interesting to see, however, if the movie performs well because it's supposedly a pretty great movie. But now there have been a, there's been a lot of aspersion cast on Nate Parker who made the movie and stars in it. So can the movie stand on its own or will people avoid it because of what he's been accused of? It will be kind of interesting to see. So those are some movies coming out. We'll we'll try to... Are there any others I didn't name that you've been excited about that are hitting? Not that I soon? can think of right now. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Please interact with us. Again, we're on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at JacobHampton26, at CDerm99, and at Rogue Otours. Um, let us know what you think. Have a wonderful day, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.